Love Talk Radio. Stop licking your ear. I have an emergency. What is your location? Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the war. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this very beautiful day that you are God, that you're good, that you're here with us all the time. I pray that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to understand what you are doing from your point of view, from your perspective, taking into consideration the bigger picture of the spiritual battle, Lord God, and that you keep us, Lord God, uh, from fear and anxiety, giving us rest and peace and hope and joy and knowing that you are faithful to complete the work you've begun in us, Lord God. And so today, as we talk about marriage, I ask that you'd give us your wisdom, uh, comfort our hearts, um, uh, encourage us, lift from the many who are bound in marriages that are difficult, uh, the hope, lift uh, off the the heaviness and give a revelation of your love and truth. And and you are the way, the way of uh, the way through, the way around, the way of escape. Father, we thank you, Jesus. Now, for coming with wisdom, we ask for that wisdom. You said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. May we speak as the oracles of God. May our hearts be encouraged. May people's hearts be instructed. And, Lord, we also pray for divine covering the shields of God around us to protect us from anxiety and the vibrations and the attacks and the assaults of the evil one against our bodies, against our relationships, against um, our, our, our lives, Father God. We thank you now that you come to protect us, Lord, as you promised you would. Amen. Good morning. Hey, hey, man. hey good hey. morning. Hey, honey, do you know what day it is? Yes, it's Tuesday. Uh, what else? It's June 27, 2017. Yes, you're getting closer. What else is it? And it is the 48th anniversary of the day we were wed. Married us anniversary. Yes. Yes, it's happy anniversary, happy honey. Anniversary. I this still is the love very you. day. We're still on the radio live on our very anniversary day. Wow, that's called the total dedication, right? Uh, well, I, I love you. I love <laughs> um, you more now than then. Yes, I love you more now than then, too, in spite of 48 years of getting to know you. <laughs> well, we've, yeah, that's right. <laughs> she knows me really well and still loves me. You know, when, when you know somebody so yeah. well, like we do, we can actually ask the question and know what the other person is going to say. So it's like the whole thing is we've memorized the script for both roles. You know, I can, I can understand what you're saying. You can understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And we just, you know, it, you know, almost like you don't need as much conversation as you thought you did. Yeah. Well, it's it, communication is very, very important. And I, <laughs> that I is learned, true. I learned that early on and I'm still learning good communication, that. good, complete, communi- good you communication know, out of, a, out of good intentions. You know, we can communicate out of nasty intentions too, but this is, um, communicating out of a source of love. So today, Hey, we've got some, uh, thoughts on marriage. We want to share with you. Uh, is this marriage been made in heaven or is it uh, marriage? Are you sure? Are you sure? These days, you know, people kind of shy away from that. And is it a happily ever after or a fight to the finish or a fight to the death? (laughs) (laughs) Fight to the death in some cases. But God is the author of marriage, you know. Yeah, you know, that's kind of like you say, well, where did marriage, people ask, where did marriage come from? Yeah, and it wasn't say, oh, let's let's say, let's just hang out together and, you know, have sex and have babies and stuff like that. Well, it wasn't quite that way. Uh, Right at the beginning, Genesis 126 
Then God said, let us make man in our image. In our image. In our image, according to our likeness. Mm -hmm. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Mm -hmm. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Isn't that interesting that both male and female reflect the image of God, but they take on different aspects, you know, kind of stereotypically, uh, the women are supposed to be the nurturers and the, you know, the caretaker. Well, we have, I know we have a lot of role adjustments these days and we're not knocking that, but typically the woman is the compassionate, tender, easily entreated one. And the the man is more the, the rule bearer, the disciplinarian, the, um, the, the one who sets down the standard, the, takes the authority, protects the home, etc. So we see God giving uh, his nature um, to, to the male and the female. And when we see marriage, then we see God's nature coming back into unity, into the oneness of reflecting who he is in that, in that holy uh, instrument called matrimony or marriage. Well, God first made Adam, and then He took a rib out of Adam, Adam and made Eve. Mm-hmm. And uh, but God took a look at uh, Adam and said, "You know what? This guy's going to really need help." Mm-hmm. So, Genesis, well, actually, Genesis two eighteen, and the Lord God said, mm-hmm. "It is not good that man should, should be, be alone. alone. Yeah, I will make him a helper comparable to him." Okay. Now, wait a minute. So God, the only thing in the garden that wasn't good was the fact that after Adam got done naming all the animals, checking everything out, taking inventory of all the creatures, there was nothing found that was fit for uh, or on his level of intelligence or communication or um, need. And so he was alone. And so loneliness was the first big bad thing in the garden. And loneliness is actually the thing that provoked Adam, I believe, to... um, to join Eve in the eating of the fruit because he did not want to be alone again because he'd already suffered that loneliness. What you said that, you know, man, God created man at the beginning, male and female, Mm -hmm. because, you know, in the image and likeness. So there's those components, um, likenesses of God that are expressed through male and female and especially expressed together as male and female come together in marriage the way God ordained it to be. Right. And, and when a marriage is uh, holy and, you know, submitting to and in obedience to what God has said, it can become a great place of strength and blessing and protection. And of course, that is one of the major foundational building blocks. The foundation of the family is, is the marriage. And so Satan has attacked marriage probably more viciously than any other thing, any other institution on the planet. Yeah, Satan likes to go right at the foundation of exactly. human society. And Ripping of course, out the marriage foundation. is the basis of human society, marriage mm-hmm. and then the family. Mm-hmm. And really, marriage is to be an expression of the true nature and grace of God mm-hmm. through human lives. And, uh, you know, and it's also to, in the New Testament, uh, we read, and we'll maybe look at this a little bit later, it, it, marriage is to be an expression an earthly, tangible, uh, human expression with the love and graces of God of the relationship between mm-hmm. Christ and his church. Right, the love and the sacrificing. The sacrifice, sacrificing is a big part, a big part of the word marriage, if you want a godly marriage. There will be times of suffering and sacrifice and sorrow 
And the, the question is, what are you going to do in these times? I think marriage is an awesome opportunity for God to uh, perfect his work in us, the workmanship of putting us into this very powerful and very intimate relationship with another human being that forces us to either love, you know, sometimes let go, let go of bitternesses, um, love one another, a love covers a multitude of faults, forgiving one another, etc. But going back to the garden for a second, um, the way God formed Eve after he noticed the loneliness and that Adam couldn't, there was no one that was there found to help him. He put Adam to sleep and used one of his own, Adam's own ribs as the structure or the building blocks out of which he, he shaped the woman. So we see that this was a different kind of creation. It wasn't out of the mud, out of the, you know, something that was, you know, just isolated. And by this was a meaningful, purposeful, deliberate act on God's part to create um, a sense of intimacy uh, Adam would know that she's bone of his bone. And that's what he recognized when he woke up. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is, th- th- she came from me. And in that, that created uh, an esteem or a preciousness that she was, a, she was special. She was his, a gift uh, come from his own body, so to speak, um, part, already a part of him. Right. And Adam, Adam recognized that. And God intended that to be that way. As Adam recognized, and of course, in Ephesians chapter of uh, uh, five verse twenty eight says so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Right. He who loves his wife loves himself. So there's a problem right there because there is the problem. Uh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Love your own body. You, you wouldn't hurt your own body. Well, nowadays people do actually do that. They their self injurious and piercing and cutting and whatnot. But if you are bone of my bone. That's not the way, you know, if a man doesn't love himself, if a woman doesn't love herself, it's going to be impossible for you to give love to anyone else. You won't have, it's like you have an empty bank account and out of that bank account, you're writing checks to try to, you know, buy a new car or something. You can't do it because there's nothing there. And so love comes from knowing you are loved. That's the only way you can get love is through knowing. And if you can't get it from anywhere else, you can get it from God because God wants you to know that you're loved. And then that is also blockaded and blocked up by the enemy who says, builds a dam and a, a bridge, a, 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 a fortress against the flow of the love of God in our lives by telling us God is mean and angry and is upset with us. But so to, to really work a marriage for a marriage to work, there has to be the love of God. And like you just read, if you don't like yourself, bone of my bone, no one ever hate him or starve his, himself or, you know, mutilate himself but that's you know obviously we're so twisted now that that even seems to be okay and pleasurable to some but um one of the funny things though and adam woke up and he said this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh adam who never had parents and never had in-laws said this most profound thing he says he says because of this he says therefore he says this is bone of my bone flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, because of this, a man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, okay, so leaving father and mother. Adam would never have ha- never had in-law problems. He never had parent problems, except the father God, of course, that was. But, you know, but he is making a total statement here that if you don't leave, because he must have prophetically knew 
that out of them would come others and those others would be have parents and there'd be grandparents and there'd be generational uh, family members and offspring and blah, 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 that there would be a problem of, of, of leaving and cleaving. So he said he has to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two should be one flesh. Now, isn't that interesting that this, uh, this doesn't happen a lot of times. People don't leave. How many marriage problems come out of uh, in-laws, expectations, relationships, uh, apron strings that aren't cut, um, the, the mother still trying to play the, the role of the wife, or uh, the father feeling that his daughter's been stolen by a man and he's still trying to protect her. And, and we have all of the uh, parental expectations the young per- persons are trying to still please. Uh, and you can't serve two masters. You can't, you know, the wife has to be uh, the, the intimate affection of your life and the husband dedicated to him uh, and his an obligation to him and her first before the parents. And so this becomes one of the, I think this has been a marriage wrecker. Uh, if there's been, you know, that kind of division animosity, that can be one of the real problems. And Adam kind of identifies it right here before we even get off the starting line. Um, well, it, it, the role changes. Um, the roles change with parents as, as children grow up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's an obedience factor, and especially you know if uh, obedience, particularly if that um, that father is a godly father, mm-hmm. and and is following the word of God. That's where obedience is. I mean, if a, if a father is expecting the child to do something in disobedience to the word of God, that's that's not a place for the child to bring obedience. But one of the things too, Marjorie, is that that, that fathers, especially a godly father usually has a lot of discernment about the mate or mm-hmm. the future mate. And so, mm-hmm. so Johnny brings home Susie mm-hmm. and th- you know, they're thinking about getting married. They're getting pretty serious. And dad takes a look at Susie and says, and, and kind of like, Ooh, I don't know about yep. this girl. Oh, it's, it could be vice versa too. If you right, have a daughter right, right, right. Sure. And, and they bring home uh, Georgie yeah, and know. Georgie is like, Oh boy, this this guy. Well, you know, could dads and moms, parents, believe it or not, have a lot of experience. They have a lot of wisdom that comes through experience and observations, and they can see and sense and know. And it's been it's very interesting. And there are four girls in my family, and I was raised very strict Catholic, and um, I'm the oldest, and so I bring home this Lutheran boy, um, and. Interesting uh, enough, non non practicing Lutheran at, at the time. <laughs> he was yeah. kind of a lost cause. Lost cause. Lost puppy sense. there, you know, yeah. bringing him home. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, um, my dad did not did not uh, say anything negative about you or me getting someone else or him not approving or whatever. Never resisted our marriage. He never came up with any you know internal arguments expressions against our marriage. And yet uh, my three sisters after me brought home men. And I know for sure two of the three, my dad did not approve of their marriages. And those marriages were, those men were Catholic, which should have given them some brownie points in their favor. But his intuition, my dad's intuition was that this, this wasn't going to last. And indeed they didn't, they did not last. And so um, it's kind of like we're trying to tell you, young people, that your parents aren't always that stupid. I mean, if they're doing this out of a right heart and pure motivation, trying to set you up to keep you for themselves forever and a day and keep you an old maid or whatever, 
they they are doing this because they care and they love you. But um, but and, and going back, that kind of makes me think of another funny thing about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was was a was a prearranged marriage. It was an arranged marriage. You know, back there in the was, there age, wasn't much choice in those days. <laughs> And Adam never worried about, did I marry the wrong person? Because there was no other option. Yeah, that's right. And so there, this was easy for Adam. This was much easier for him than us. We've always got people come to see me all the time and they'll say, I'm afraid I married the wrong person. Um, I, I don't know if I married the, where's the right person? How do I know this is the, with the, the right person? Am I in the will of God even to get married? Blah, blah, blah. And so these kinds of doubts and things will set up a problem for many people. They say, well, I was young when I got married, and that's why my marriage isn't working. Well, actually, we were young when we got married. I was 19, and you just was, you were almost 21. Almost 21. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and he had to get permission, signed permission from his parents to get married. I think that's some legal thing back in the day. Anyway, right. So don't talk about being young. It's not about young or old. You know, some people marry their childhood sweethearts, and they, and they have the awesome marriages. It's not... The, the enemy is trying to make you think, give you some excuse why this marriage is not the right marriage and you're out of the will of God. Well, you, if you're married to someone right now, God knew from the foundation of the world everything was going to happen. He knew you'd be in this marriage. Now it's up to the two of you to make it work. If only one of you wants to make it work, you plus God doesn't make a majority in a marriage. It's got to be you plus God plus the other person. If the other person is not willing, and we saw even in the Old Testament how there was a lot of you know, uh, difficulty, uh, hardship, um, abuse in marriages that God, uh, you know, relented and says, okay, I'll give you a writing of divorcement. You can divorce them. Uh, it's permitted, but I don't like it. And, and Malachi says, I hate divorce. And, you know, as a parent, as anybody who's ever been in or through or witnessed a divorce and whether it's your own or someone else's, you can hate it because you see what it does to the, the children, to the, to the two individuals, how it, it kind of wounds you you go through life kind of with a with a, a a broken leg or a wounded heart. It's it's there can be healings and second marriages can be awesome. You can finally find the the right person on the third try. You know, there's all kinds of things going on out there, and God is good and faithful. But at the same time, you know, if you go into a divorce, the devil would want to condemn you and make you feel bad, guilty, ashamed, like you failed. You're no good. You're never going to make it. And and so then he puts that heavy weight, burden, handicap on you to go go forward in your life. And so you carry that until you make peace with yourself and with God regarding this thing. But if the person you're married to is not amiable or not willing uh, to cooperate, and a lot of people, you know, you have to understand this. This is, a, we go real deep here, but people marry, when you marry someone, you also marry their demons. You marry their strongholds, mm-hmm. you marry their demonic programming, you marry their experiences, you marry their wounds, you marry their broken hearts. You have no idea sometimes what you're getting into when you marry someone. You, you, you in a sense, marry their family, too. You know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Obviously. And this is interesting. You can look at the family, and people don't do this when you're checking out their background. Well, yeah, it's like... Um, you, you can look at the family. Uh, they say, look at the, 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 the person's, uh, the, your mate's father or mother, and that's what you'll have in 40 years from now. Right, right. Um, Not always the case, but... That's, yeah. But it's saying that something that's important, look at the generations, look at what this family struggles with, look at the curses that come down. Nobody looks at that. You say, well, we're going to do better. We're not going to be like that. Well, you will be like that unless you do something very specific to change it. Well, really, I, 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 there needs to be background checks for a potential marriage partner. 
you know, because they're, yeah, these days for sure. You know, these days, people, people lie. People lie like rugs all right? the time, and, and they even deceive themselves. So they deceive themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, what are the lies? What is the truth? What you don't know can really hurt you. There's there's surprises Skeletons. about. There, I, mm-hmm. I've talked to people that you know they um, got married. They're all in love, quote unquote. They get and love married. Love is blind. That's a problem. And then it's like uh, you know a few weeks into the marriage, they realize that. Oh, he changed. Yeah. She changed. Mm-hmm. No, she he didn't change. He was just, he just had the, all the stuff. He had his good, well, best behavior yes, exactly. uh, uh, was going on. And uh, you're finding out who the real person is. Mm-hmm. And you could have found out, uh, you waited well, and discerned a little bit more. You could have found out a little bit more about them before. Well, here's the problem, though. That We're not, you could have, should have, but love is blind. And there are sometimes red flags that we, we just discount, you know, well, sometimes friends will come up to you and say something to you or a best friend or a parent or something, and you just don't want to hear it. And so then we go into it feeling later blamed and stupid. Yeah, for, you're saying love is blind, and actually love should be 2020 vision. Well, when you go into a marriage, you shouldn't be stupid you, enough to think this is the person that's going to make me happy. There's a big problem, too. People go in and they think, oh, he or she is going to complete my life, going to help me to reach my goals. Um, You know, he's got money, uh, whatever. She's got money. She's got a good education. I I can go. It's clear sailing from here. Yeah. You know, um, what I was going to say about this is that if you're not happy, you're not happy before you're married, you're not going to be happy after the marriage. Well, and the other person isn't. You you talking there about you mentioned um, you didn't say it yet, but mercy marriages. Where you marry someone to rescue them from something. Yeah, he. I know he's got some, you know, issues, issues, some mm-hmm. addictions, but and some. I'll uh, fix faults, him. But I'll fix him. I will alter him. This kind of savior rescue mentality, Does caretaking. Not work. Um, if that other person doesn't want to be rescued, you spend your whole life, you know. Um, a mercy marriage. God can take any marriage and make it and, awesome. and make it uh, good and awesome. But usually, a mercy marriage would say, oh, "I'm just going to help them." And Feel help sorry for him them, her. fix them. Yeah, that's Rescue usually them. a pattern for disaster of various kinds. Well, because, you know, how did they get there in the first place? And do they want to be rescued? That becomes a part of well, the Well, another problem. thing, too, is that, um, you know, let's talk about the background checks, you know, for a potential marriage partner. If you're in that place, maybe you, you, you've been divorced or uh, you're single and you're looking for a, a mate. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I would say number one and not necessarily not these are not necessarily in order but i would say the the first this first priority would be in in proper order they need to have a real a love for jesus they need to be if you're a believer they need mm-hmm. to but be a lot of people a, a say believer. they love god not just and you don't dig any not further. just because you're a believer and they're saying they're a believer they're just so they can so they can happy. get you as their partner yep. you know a lot of people say they love jesus oh boy we've got We've got so much of that today uh, in in word, professing in word. Superficial religion is all they have, and it's not really a change of heart. But if they truly know Christ and love Christ, that is the number one factor. And then you have to look at their parents and home life. What was their parents and uh, parenting uh, like? Uh, what was their what was their home life like? Well, here's here's another thing. Today we have so much interracial everything, which is fine. But the thing is, you have to realize when you marry someone of a different, uh, uh, you, know, per, you know, background, that their their experiences and their 
traditions and their it's culture culture it's a, it's is going to be culture. different. Now, if you can mingle and mix and love and embrace that and it's all cool, that's great. But sometimes it's maybe not as bad now as it used to be because there's more, more of it. And th- th- these kinds of, you know, traditions and expectations are difficult. It's even difficult for Germans to marry Scandinavians. Isn't that right, honey? Oof. I'm German. If you don't know what UFTA is, you, know, you can look if it you, up. If you, even the clashes of cultures in something that would look to be pretty normal, pretty, uh, pretty common, um, are, are, are the way we were raised. And we were both raised in a, in a farming setting. So <clears throat> we both knew how to work. And we both knew how to work hard. And we b- both knew how to you know, dig into the ground kind of thing. Yeah. But at the same time, the way we handle um, conflicts and the way we, you know, live our lives was real different, really different. I remember when I first went down to your place, <clears throat> this is kind of way back when they set the table. They had bowls of potatoes and corn. And I remember it was corn, potatoes and some, I don't remember what the meat was, maybe applesauce, applesauce and pork chops or something. Anyway, whatever it was on the table, I was so shocked because the bowl was full. But there wasn't any backup. When the bowl was empty, that's all you ate. That's all you got. In my family, which was uh, one, two, three, three times as big as theirs as far as kids, there was always backup on the stove. When the bowl got empty, you just went to the stove and filled it up again. So everybody got to, of course, we probably needed bigger bowls is their problem. But um, I was shocked that the, the meal was so simple and everybody ate what was there and that was it. In my family, you ate till you didn't want to eat anymore, and then you were done. You know, <laughs> but we, you know, even in little cultural things, that's just neither here nor there. You can just throw that out there. Well, yeah. So okay. you have to look at what, what was the home life like uh, right. for that person, and that really helps uh, you know helps you understand who they are. And what about their social interaction? How do they solve problems? Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 how do they solve problems? Uh, how do they get along with people? Mm-hmm. Are they kind of the life of the party? Are they withdrawn? Do they relate well with people? Are they are they empathetic toward other people? Here's another issue with that. You know, as you look at their parents, you've seen how that marriage relationship, your parents or parents-in-law, how that marriage evolved. Uh, and, and in, you know, what a marriage is supposed to do is enhance, uh, lift up, build up, you know, each member, each person, so that you become all that God wants you to be. And the other person, your mate, is assisting in that um, that g- making you great in the kingdom of God. But you see in a lot of marriages how one has taken the supreme leadership role, male or female, they become controlling or bitchy or crabby. And, and, and maybe sometimes the man will become meek, uh, passive, mousy, milk toasty, um, or, you know, to just stay in the marriage, they've had to make some real, either both sides made some real sacrifices. The woman who is controlling is always operating out of fear and anxiety. She's got to have the world the way she wants it. And it may be physical, maybe hormonal. It may be, you know, uh, relational. It may be from her own experiences in the past, uh, you know, or a man who has to rule the roost and, and, and with an iron fist and he's angry and explosive or intermittently explosive all the time. And the kids never know when he's going to explode. And, and you usually when you see these marriages, you will see the opposites. You will see a woman who is a saint and, or, or a vice or a witch and you see a man who's, if the woman is a saint, the man is a raging uh, maniac, bully, angry, uh, addicted or whatever. And or if you see the woman who's a witch, then you see the man who's really nice. 
And it's kind of like, I guess that's kind of for the sake of the children that somebody's there for them. But at the same time, it's not working well because neither one is building the other up into the place of being more like Jesus. So what about this factor that you hear it from a lot of people that, you know, people tend to marry opposites. Well, yeah. What is do. that? What is that saying? And I think it's good. Why is that, why is that a good thing? Why can that be a, a difficult? Well, when you marry an opposite, you're marrying someone who you're attracted to, someone who's exemplifying or uh, having uh, an ability or a talent or a gift that you admire, something that you don't have, something that you would love to have or get to know or, or be part of your life. For example, men who are quiet or shy will marry women who are, you know, gregacious and outgoing or vice versa. Women who can, you know, hire, I was going to say hire <clears throat> or marry a man who will go out there and do the talking for them. Uh, and so the opposites can be good, but at the same time, they can create problems and become competitive and become con- places of contention if you don't realize that and appreciate the gift in your husband or your wife. I'm, for example, with uh, Jerry and I, um, he's a thinker. He thinks things through. He meditates upon it. He, he doesn't make a, 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 a quick decision uh, usually, uh, you know, kind of contemplate. And I'm not that way at all. I'm like, well, do it now and think about it later. Yeah. And, and he's laughing because. He well, knows. yeah, it's interesting how that works, though. But it's really a good factor because and it's a, so she she helps me be more uh, decisive. And that's, I think, been a pattern over the years. Help me be more mm-hmm. decisive. Mm-hmm. You're helping me to be more decisive. And then also uh, I'm helping you maybe to think a little bit more i don't know uh, but you do pretty well either way but so those factors are complementary remember we read in, in or Genesis, they could be aggravating that we could make oh, that yeah. a big point yeah. of aggravation it's like it's like honey just think this through a little bit i mean you got this vision and this big idea well and then you what should, about this what about that and what then about you have that? the positive negative person you have the negative one who's going to find all the possible things that could go wrong in the idea mm. and then you've got the one who sees it and the visionary the one who's going to you know believe it's all going to work out just like uh, the you know perfect well, it's like and it's like you know jesus told this parable about this guy that was going to build a tower Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, you know, if you're going to build a tower, what do you do? What do you do? You're gonna you're gonna sit down and count the cost. You've got the vision for it, mm-hmm. but you know, are you going to have the the finances? Are you going to have the workers? Mm-hmm. Are you going to have yeah, the plan? The details. Mm-hmm. So, but you you need both. Mm-hmm. You need the visionary aspect as well as the yeah. uh, well, it's the, the thoughtful same. aspect. It's the same in families. I remember one time this man came to me, and he's he's a quite a wise man." And he has several children, and his actual job is uh, to be a consultant to corporations to help them find the gifts of their employees so that they can put them in the right places so they can function smoothly in their uh, operations, in their companies. And so he was telling me about his daughter. Well, he had several children, but this one daughter, um, whenever they wanted to go on a trip, you know, vacation, she would just get down to every detail, packing the suitcases, making the plans, calling the head, making sure they knew where they were going to stay, you know, checking out the uh, tourist traps along the way to see where they would have the most fun. So she was just totally into the details of planning. And she kept bugging everybody in the family. And they got aggravated with her because they didn't recognize that her gift was actually helping them to have a good time because they just all wanted to do it. But she was thinking it through. And so when they recognized that she has the gift of planning, they began to appreciate her 
planning and, and, and actually assisted her and appreciated her and didn't stand in her way and criticize her for being so, uh, you know, annoying to them. Right. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says to parents, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he not depart from it. So it's, it's the discernment of parents is important, not only the discernment, discernment of yeah. a, when you're looking for a marriage partner, but uh, uh, parents to discern what's the bent of that child. What, what is their interest? What is their passion? What is their skill, their ability? And it might be different than what you have in your mind mm-hmm. you think that they should fulfill. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you think, oh, man, I want to have a, I want to have a baseball player. I want to have a football player, yeah, yeah. whatever. But then Trophy the, the kid, he's really well, he's built for football. He's built for baseball, but then he's interested in, uh, in, in music or, mm-hmm. or uh, some other sorts we of things. The, and then you and have that's problems. Fine. Then, then you have the, conflict. Then you have parent, to say, yeah. okay, I want to encourage him in what is for what it is for him. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of our uh, uh, grandkids when she was uh, little, uh, mom was saying, you know, she is so bossy because when she was like in daycare, she would just tell people what to do and let's move this and let's do this and let's do this. And it's like, she is so bossy. I said, no, she's not bossy. Don't call her bossy. She, uh, she has a gift of leadership. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not witchcraft, but there's, there's what needs to be done, but seeing it needs to be, what needs yep. to be done. And, and that needs to then, how can we bless bless encourage. that and mm-hmm. encourage that in, in, a, in a positive way. Why, right. And that's when you have children, you can look at them and you don't want to compare them ever with each other, never and or with the neighbors, oh. which is also a big problem with a lot of families. But you, you compare them. They're only running the race against their own potential and against God's uh, will for their life. So, okay. And then you say, okay, we're back to say, if you're looking someone that's looking for a potential marriage partner, we're looking at love for Jesus, the parents and home life, the social interaction, how do they relate? Another thing too to check is 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 even criminal record, because some there are people in our day. There's people that have now that doesn't mean if someone has a criminal record, and they repented and they're all right. clean and they're right. That's fine. Or falsely but, accused too. But, or they've been falsely accused or they've yeah been at the and, wrong place at the wrong time sort of situation. But but it is something to to take a look at. Is is there a history? Uh, of a, a criminal activity. right, and 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 at the point where you're meeting them, are they just lip servicing? I'm I'm changed, or is there actually some evidence? And also the thing, when you're looking for someone, I believe there has to be uh, a divine endorsement. Some way along the way, the spirit of God has to bear witness with your spirit that this is good. And and you know, if you're if you're not sure, uh, well, the devil can create a lot of doubt, obviously. But if you're not sure. And you're looking to your uh, opinions of your friends and trying to talk yourself into something and shutting your eyes to red flags and trying hard to make this okay. Or we've already got the invitations out, so now we got to go through with it. When, in fact, even at the last minute, they should have called it off and people should have given them permission to call off what they should have called off. Um, you know, when there's a, 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 a revelation from God or a, an endorsement or confirmation, um, it's interesting. I... I when I first met my husband, you know, we were, we did not know each other. We had never seen each other before. Um, I was my first freshman orientation day at college and uh, I was sitting next to my roommate. We had just gone, gone down to the orientation uh, for freshmen. And there was this young man up front uh, adjusting the microphones and, you know, was going to MC this thing or whatever he's going to do. I don't know. But anyway, I I elbowed her sitting next to me. I said, "Um, that's the one I'm going to marry. 
And it was a prophetic word out of my mouth. And I, at the time, had nothing to do with God. I was not serving God. I'd just come out of a bad experience with religion. And I was just not there at all. But I just said, that's the one I'm going to marry. And then um, I didn't know his name for months. I didn't know his name. And I'd see him on the sidewalk, changing classes, you know, going from class to class. And from time to time, I'd hear the voice, I guess the voice of God, an internal voice that says, would say, that's the one you're going to marry. And so that's the one I did marry. And I, you know, and once we got to know each other and figured out we had the right names for each other, um, we were married within like six months or so. And, you know, so it wasn't a long, it wasn't a year courtship. It wasn't, we broke every rule you could break. Really, in our marriage, honestly, we didn't have a big wedding. I think our wedding cost us $500 or less. And most of that was for the $50 for the rings. I mean, it was just like, you know, we had a, you know, you know, kind of a potluck blessing wedding with Rice Krispie bars. I think we had a wedding cake that we made ourselves out of chocolate. Back in the day, chocolate was forbidden. Now it's all the rage. But we were the, we were the adventures of a, our, our wedding cake was in the triangles in the Star of David, chocolate layers, asparagus ferns for decorations, kind of hippie-ish. But sandals, you know, the priest, he was shocked when we came walking down the aisle with no veil and no flowers and flowers in her hair and sandals. And whew, this was this was a new dimension for him. Anyway, so and guess what? God in his gracious goodness I has totally kept us together. So all those little wedding things and, you know, those little per- details, you know, some of the most expensive weddings last the, the, the shortest. They really, it's just amazing. It's all about show and it's not about whatever. But going back to this, God has to endorse in some way to you as to confirm to both of you that this is the right person. Yeah. And even though we didn't really know what we were doing there. Yes, we, I agree. And, and, <laughs> uh, but still it was a prearranged marriage in heaven. It was made, mm-hmm. it was arranged by God. God knew, even though we were living in a time of confusion and rebellion Total confusion, at the time, hippie movement. Yeah. Really that sort of thing, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. But we, even though we were in there, God just stuck us together and said, okay, these guys are kind of a mess right now, but I've got a purpose for them in the future. I'm putting them together. Yeah. They don't realize it, but I'm putting them together. So, and here and we he are. Didn't, he did not make it easy for us. We didn't have lush, lavish bank accounts. We didn't have um, a lot of, you know, we, we, we were breaking the, the, the status quo. We were going off the beaten path. We weren't following in our parents' footsteps. We were, we were on our own with God in, in the course that he selected for us. So, well, yeah, and the Lord just uh, intervened in our lives, and about uh, three years after we were married, then we came to know Jesus mm-hmm. as our personal Savior and so forth, and that's that's really, he is the key factor in our marriage. And of course, you have to look at another thing here, back to this, you have to look at personal interests. What, what, is, the, what is the interest of that mm-hmm. person? What's their interest? What's their, what's their passion? I mean, it's like, you know, if you, if they love to go fishing, and you hate fishing, maybe you'll learn to like fishing or you need to just let them go fishing. But if, <laughs> but there needs to be uh, some commonality of personal or, or interest. agreement into how yeah. you're going to handle the situation. Yeah. And, 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 then, and then your giftings and abilities. Now, that they're, they're, these, I think, can be very complementary uh, to each other. We'd say, what is, what is the gifting they have? Are they... Are they good at at writing or music or sports or whatever they are? Mm-hmm. And and I think to help encourage that and develop that. That's what Jesus did with the church. He 
he is encouraging us to, to develop us, to create in us the, the, the functioning of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Uh, he's gifted us. He's, he's laid down his life to enhance those, um, those gifts, to walk in freedom, to walk in truth, uh, to walk in, in uh, wisdom. And he, he endorses that. He encourages that. And I think if we encourage that in one another, it's like a marriage is like this parable. It's like a garden, just like a garden. You, you, your wife, your husband, your marriage is a garden. Now, a garden does not take care of itself. You have to take care of the garden. You plant it, you, but you, you're, you're not going to get anything out of that garden if you don't put anything into the garden. You have to walk in the garden pretty much daily and look at it, see if the weeds are, you know, common, see if the bugs are eating things up. You can't just plant it in June or May and go out there in August, September and expect to pick a harvest, a bountiful harvest of lovely vegetables and fruits because number one, the seasons are different for different things. You won't be picking your beans in September. You'll be picking them probably in July. You have to continually walk in this garden of your relationship, your marriage to pluck the weeds, get to the, you know, and don't just mow them off. Don't just mow off the weeds. I mean, you've got to, and the, when they're little, you can get a lot of them out with a little effort. When they're big, it takes sweat. It takes work. It takes determination. So the issues that come up, um, settle them while they're small. That's right. That's right. Another thing too, is that uh, is you're considering marriages that your spouse or potential spouse, has there been a previous marriage or marriages? Um, you know, you have to consider if there are issues and sometimes, you know, if they're just, if they're putting all the blame on the other person, um, it usually takes two um, to, to, to get into trouble that way. But the, there may be some issues that are unresolved. Mm-hmm. You know, if they, if there's a reason why someone's married, been married three or four times, uh, it's, you know, good, you know, the well, enemy is working, of... the enemy is working mm-hmm. there. And I understand, but maybe there's just uh, this, there's, there's improper expectations. There's an attitude or a, a habit or something in, in, in that person's life that uh, could set up some uh, warning. Well, again, as you're, as you're assessing, is this God's will? And I think that needs to be the bottom line in the first line. Is this God's will? And not again, Jesus said, don't judge by appearances. So on the other side of all of what we're telling you is the other side of that, that sometimes, you know, you can't make a judgment based on what you think or what you expect or the past or the history, but you base it on what God says. So the bottom line is to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But, um, Another thing too here is like finances mm-hmm. can, and the person, are they handling finances well? Now, a lot of times in a marriage, yeah, you have the opposite. so maybe you yeah. have a spender and yeah. you have a saver. Yeah. Uh, you know, in previous generations, people that came through the depression tend to be savers. Hoarders. Uh, ho- gatherers. Maybe, maybe hoarders, gatherers. Yeah. And then uh, baby boomers that tend to be uh, spenders and, 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 and then, this generation getting, now, yeah, getting into debt. I don't know. This well, generation. this generation now, I think they int- they tend to be uh, feeling entitled or take care of me. Yeah. I don't think most of them really haven't had the great opportunity to to learn how to work, how to accomplish, how to complete a task. I know they go to school, but a lot of them didn't, didn't have the opportunity to to really see what they could do. When they were growing up, they were sit on the couch, watch the television, stay out of my way, go be with your friends, play some sports. And maybe the sports is 
the thing these days that gives children an opportunity to actually see what they can do. But most kids don't like to do that. And so therefore there's a, a kind of a void there. And so they coming up with uh, what, what are you going to do for me? What's in it for me? Uh, what can I get out of this? You know, rather than what can I give you? How can we do this together? Oh, and that's, that's a whole concept of serving. Yeah. And I think finances back to finances and raising children. These are the two critical issues upon which most of the debate and the frustration comes and a lack of finances can create a lot of stress and tension in the home, a lot of um, judgments, a lot of self judgments, a lot of pointing of the finger. Uh, and of course, alcoholism, addictions to substances, uh, you know, overspending, those kinds of things. But I'd like to go back. I know we have a few minutes, but I'd like to go back to Genesis for a second because I think we have to go back again to the roots of this. We can talk about all of these things. And, you know, obviously, you know, God is able to show each one of us wh- where you're at right now, wh- whether you want to get married, never want to get married, are married, been in a bad marriage and are out, never want to get back in, whatever it is, God is with you right now and wants to encourage you. And I think one of the things we have to understand, too, is that Satan really hinders, really hates, really puts a kibosh on godly marriages. He also puts a kibosh on godly people having children. You, all, you notice how that there seems to be no end of children being born to the, the godless or to the, 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 the methamphetamine users or the whatever. And I'm not judging these people. I'm just saying there are tons of children eight, nine, 10 children in a family like this. And then you find a family that's loving God and they don't have any children. And, and I think this is a demonic uh, assault against the godly to keep the godly seed from being brought forth and to keep the godly marriages from, from happening. But I want to go back to Genesis for a second, because the first thing that happened after the sin, after Adam and Eve realized they were naked and ashamed and, and put together their fig leaves, uh, their religious coverings, um, when God came down and talked to them, um, he said, he, uh, he said, he realized that they realized that they were naked and had eaten of the fruit. Then the man said, um, uh, verse 11 of chapter three, and he, God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree, which I, which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. So it's kind of like you say, well, they're all passing the buck. But it's interesting that Adam had the audacity to blame God, reminding God that this was the woman that he had given him. It's like he's saying, God, you gave me a bad deal here. You gave me a faulty woman. You gave me one who deceived me or tricked me, let, misled me. Here she was supposed to be my help. and she. So Adam indirectly, he blames God directly to his face um, for the sin. But he, he indirectly blames Eve. And I believe that this is the source of a huge rift between male and female that has come down from the garden and we have not attended to it. We've not addressed it. And if you're hearing this for the first time, I pray that you would consider this, that when the man judged the woman as, you know, an unfit helper because she deceived him, he became, um, she became the object of of suspicion, his suspicion, uh, the object of blame Um, in his pride. uh, didn't want to admit he was wrong or that he had had any fault in it or, uh, afraid maybe to admit that he had sinned um, 
there was planted a seed, a, a curse of bitterness, a seed that would prick the heart and, and um, set aside love and pride and stubbornness and the curse would enter their marriage, would become in the midst of them. How many times people sitting on my couch in the counseling office and, there's, and I say, you know what, they're sitting in two of them. They've married each other's demons. They've married each other's perceptions, the demons who create those, um, those lenses of perception. And the devil is sitting right in the middle of them. And he's just provoking them to fight and bicker and, and um, you know, point fingers and blame it's, until it's, it's like ridiculous. Until you say, wait a minute, stop. Let's point the finger at what's really going on here. It's neither one of you, but it's both of you listening to the lies. So Adam began to blame Eve. And from this, that day to this, men are suspicious of their wives. They don't like to be told what to do. They don't like to be helped. They, they consider it sometimes to be an insult to their intelligence or their ego. And so they are, there's a spirit of back in the garden. Adam refused to, it never does say, Adam never did admit, according to the word, that he had had any part in it. He never said, you're right, God, I'm sorry, Eve, I'm sorry I blamed you. We don't have any of that dialogue. Maybe he did say that, but we don't know that. To this very day, we have this resistance in the man who doesn't want to be wrong or be told what to do or told that he is wrong. Yeah, that's a, that's a kind of a, a pride thing, an ego thing. In a, insecurity in a man, thing. Insecurity. Mm-hmm. Because one of the roles that that uh, you know husbands and wives have is there's a warning role. There's a mm-hmm. there, God. God speaks a lot of times. Honey, I've said this kind of jokingly, but it's the truth that God God's voice sounds just like yours. Thank you. You're because, right. <laughs> because, and I'm right. <laughs> I love it when I'm right. But anyway, See? you you uh, God through you to me about certain issues not 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 always there's times i think no it isn't that isn't right that's you know mm-hmm. but but a lot of times we don't like to be corrected but totally correction good. is your friend mm-hmm. because you know you don't like to be if you're showing that you're wrong in some area it doesn't mean you're a totally mm-hmm. rep total reprobate Lost you're, human you being. know forget it why mm-hmm. try mm-hmm. that sort of thing but, you don't correct your children because they're worthless or lost right. or stupid. You correct because them because they're that worth That is it. part of the God's um, uh, warning God's system. Yeah. God's perfecting of us is what he does through the actions and the words of our mate. That works both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, with the husbands, and I can see where this goes in, in uh, Colossians 3.19. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Mm-hmm. There can be a bitterness, and uh, mm-hmm. honey, you're always, you know, correcting me mm-hmm. and stuff like that. No, there's, there's, there's a time where a wife is wrong, and they're just nagging. And they need to be protected and corrected. Yeah, yep. they need some correction, and then sometimes just nagging isn't going to do it. You know, there's a word of correction. There's a difference between that and just a constant nagging. Well, I nagging. think nagging comes out of a spirit of either fear or panic or frustration, right. trying to get someone to hear or talking louder or manipulating circumstances so that they will be forced. And that's, that's called witchcraft, manipulating a circumstance so that that other person will be forced to do what you want them to do. And again, a wife's job is helping. She is there to influence. And if the man is, is intreatable, if he's uh, reasonable, if he's humble, he will re- consider that, that piece of information. And a wife, if she is respecting her husband and he says, you know, honey, that church you're going to, I've seen this so many times. The wife is immersed in this church that's 
counterfeiting off the wall, basically. But she thinks it's great. It's God. They're talking about God. She's being misled, deceived, used, and abused. And the husband refuses to go to the church. And she thinks he's, 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 a, he's an unchristian. He's unspiritual. He's, you know, resisting God. And yet, he's got the word from the Lord on this, that this church is bogus. And yet she, he permits her to go, lets her go, doesn't stop her from going because he knows it'll happen if he tries to. But, you know, really don't judge your husband as being a super unspiritual hater of God because he doesn't go to the church that you go to because probably the church you're going to, he can't, he spiritually knows it's not right. And, 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 and it can go vice versa. But you, most of the time you hear women who are involved in the church and the men who are not. And I think it's because, the men have some sort of radar. However, women also have an intuition and a radar. A lot of times um, they are very discerning, very perceptive, very, and more sensitive a lot of times and perceptive in the treachery of other women that might be plotting yeah. towards their husband. However, when that other woman, that seductress is coming with her flattery and the man is, is a gaping wound in the area of, of taking care of the helpless or, mm-hmm. you know, fixing people, He's stupid, gullible, swallowing it. And the woman over, his wife over here is saying, ah, ah, no, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. And he'll say, shut up. You're nagging me. It's, you, it's, it, there's mm-hmm. no, it's your problem. You're the problem. You're the one. And so the, the, the uh, shifting of the focus goes onto the one who's trying to bring the warning. And if you want more information on that, listen to, go to our radio show on witchcraft. There's a couple of them about a year ago that we did. I think witchcraft and Jezebel is in the title of them. And, you see how this dynamic sets up. So the woman is here to protect her husband because I don't think men realize how vulnerable they are in, in terms of ego and uh, flattery. I think men are super because of their egos and their needs for respect and their needs to be uh, elevated, endorsed, approved of. <clears throat> they're super vulnerable to these lying seductresses that come by to stroke their egos. And it's like, you know, we're here in that sense to protect each other. A woman can really discern that. Sometimes the guy is going along, ga 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 ga, and the woman just freaks out and says, "No, no, no! Can't you see this?" And so, and then another thing too that a woman needs to have the, the in a sense, the protection of her husband. You know, mm-hmm. does she need some rest? Does she need some encouragement? Does she need some support? Mm-hmm. All uh, you know, always. I mean, there's a need for protection and support, right. but but in what areas? And that's where God will. Uh, the Holy Spirit will give wisdom to the well, I, husband. On I, that. I think we need to understand it. I know we're kind of many jumping topics, but marriage is not a contract. It's not a, it's, it's a covenant. And, and it, the covenant started in the Bible when, when Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You know, what a covenant says is what I have is yours. Mine, my bones are your bones. My, my flesh is your flesh. My bank account is your bank account. And if you guys have separate bank accounts, there's a problem there. Uh, somebody can't be trusted. I understand sometimes you have separate personal accounts and then business accounts, but when you have to hide your money or have a separate account or you know stashing your money because you don't trust the other one, this is working from a contract. Or put your put your <clears throat> life on an allowance. Yeah, but that's all about fear and control. Yeah. Um, you know, so the thing is, covenant is not what most of the times. Um, uh, we we approach marriage these days as a business deal, not a lifestyle, not a not a not a oneness and intimacy of oneness of flesh, but as a business. We have prenuptial agreements. We have um, you know 
a list of un, unspoken expectations, including that you're going to make me happy. Um, we have in the fine print our unspoken, all of the anticipations of uh, to prevent and protect us from a, a potential lawsuit um, called a divorce. And so, you know, marriage is a legal document uh, to protect us, we think, from suffering um, later on. But if we're in a covenant, that love suffers all the way through. Love suffers, doesn't, you know, hate suffering. Love embraces suffering because love cares about the other person. It's not an, an un, it's not a conditional, okay, here's the, here's the terms of the contract. You fail to be beautiful all the rest of your life. You're not a trophy anymore. You ended up in a wheelchair. Um, you, you didn't provide for me the, you know, the lush, plush living I wanted. Uh, you, you failed to perform. You didn't make me happy or please me. You didn't serve me. Um, you know, the, you didn't complete the, 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 uh, co- the elements of the contract. Therefore, I have a right to get rid of you. This is called conditional. Um, mm-hmm. in, you know, in a, in a covenant, we, uh, we, there is uh, love that covers a, a multitude of sins or faults or uh, you know, and I believe when we truly love one another, that love will encourage the other person to be honest, to come forth and to know that they can admit their sin. They can admit their problem uh, because and, and they can because they know they can be forgiven. And even in situations that are severe, like affairs and adultery and this sort of thing, I know stories of people who refuse to take their their mate back. And I know people who just absolutely, totally embrace them to come back. And um, I, I really believe God would give grace and, and wisdom at that moment in time to know what to do. Uh, but always that love will be the determining factor, not hurt and offense. Years ago, the Beatles, some of the younger ones, I think most everybody's heard of the Beatles. They had a song called All You Need Is Love. You know, being in love with someone, in love, or infatuation, a lot of times it's infatuation, it's hormones, stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, is not does not mean that you should get married. You know, but physical attraction and passion are not enough to keep a marriage going. So, you know, yes. uh, it, so, and part of the, the working out of love, the love of God is I've got here just some things quickly as we get to the end of our. Yeah, go ahead. I want one more thing to say too. So oh, go okay, ahead. cool. Let me just give you this. What, what helps make a marriage strong? I got like six quick things I'll give you here. Okay. Friendship. Okay. That can you really talk? Can you know is, is, the friendship needs to happen before the marriage? Right. You know the the uh, because you're married doesn't mean your friendship should end. Right. Okay. That's right. Uh, and then focus. There's a common focus. I think it's one thing that we've had a focus on serving God, following together. the Lord, mm-hmm. ministry together, and fulfillment. You know, we look for fulfillment not just in in the other person. Or if we find our fullest fulfillment in Jesus and Christ our and knowing relationship him. with him every day. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then finances, a lot of divorces happen over money. There has to be an agreement. There's some management, you know, decide, okay, is the wife going to pay the bills? Is the husband going to pay the bills? Uh, you know, watch out for credit stuff. So we don't get under all kinds of pressure because of poor financial decisions. And then there's forgiveness. Mm, big, big one. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is important. You like to live so you don't need forgiveness, but most of us need forgiveness we do. on a regular basis. And then another thing is fun. In this whole friendship, not necessarily you have to go on some exotic vacation mm-hmm. or 
or, or just party, what is fun party to all you the guys. time. Yeah. But what 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 you enjoy in the friendship and the ministry and fulfillment and and forgiveness and just just enjoying your life. We people a lot of times say just strengthened by one another. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we're strengthened by another. And and then the whole thing, Matthew six thirty three. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Christ first mm-hmm. makes a marriage last. Now we're going to put, put a little PS on this. It's a kind of a hook at the end yep. in second or first Timothy chapter four. He's talking about uh, chapter four, verse one. Now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, Forbidding to marry and command and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So one of the end time uh, identifiers is going to be this fear of marriage, uh, abstaining from forbidding to marry. Uh, we see this all over the place. We see marriage, the definition rewritten by the courts of law. We see um uh, people afraid to get married, departing from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. And that's what the deceivers are doing, trying to depart from the sacred covenant of marriage um, because it's too hard or because I don't want to live that unselfishly. Um, uh, and so uh, when we're afraid, uh, instead, we substitute the the idea of living together, trying out the other person, seeing if we can get along. Um, having sex without a marriage covenant is like living without a shelter, living shacking up without a shack. It's like there is no commitment, no no uh, promise of protection or commitment to love, to keep, to cherish, to be there in times that are not fun, um, to take care of the other person in difficult times. So forbidding to marry fosters and fosters fear, it fosters more loneliness, more abandonment, more a renegade offspring who are you know confused and not protected more uncertainty and anxiety, more expectations that are based on performance um, and demands, uh, conditions, abilities to perform and to, to make that person happy. And so all of this contract stuff, you make me happy, please me, serve me, uh, no margin of error. Uh, there's no obligation on my part to help you grow or learn. There's no obligation on my part to humble myself and admit I'm wrong. Um, these kinds of things provoke uh, love and promote fear and more dysfunction, which we see going rampant in the world. Um, and, and of course it all always, always affects the children. So we need to ask the Lord now to, uh, help us father God, as we have said, as we've seen, as we've shared, uh, we're in the end days We're we're in troubled times. Um, the marriages have lost their definition. They have been, um, abused, assaulted, attacked, afflicted uh, by the God of this world, as has everything else. And so we're pray, praying right now, Lord God, that you'd strengthen those who are listening in their marriages, whether they're married or not. Strengthen them in their relationship with you to be know, to know that they are in covenant with you and that you are committed to them to keep them and carry them. And if they're in very messy situations, which we know marriage can complicate life tremendously, uh, in a negative and difficult way, that you would pull from the snares of the evil one, that you give grace and repentance to those who need to humble themselves, both probably, and that you would bring divine intervention into these marriages that are shipwrecked or soon to be, 
and the spewing and strewing of the children all over the landscape, Father, that you would intervene in these marriage situations and bring these people to repentance, bring them to their knees, bring them to hope, and bring them to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Father, we're just believing you for mighty miracles that you will do, whether it's a miracle of forgiveness, of restoration, of healing. Amen. Faith. Lord, I pray that you just release your power. Yes, Jesus. In whatever situation the person finds themselves in, whether single, happily married, or unhappily married, Lord, that you will just do a mighty work in, in uh, uh, signs that you are at work for your glory, for their good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessings to you, liferecovery.com or truelightchurchmn.org. Check us out. <laughs> 